What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. I'm Matt Miller. I'm Hannah Elliott, and this is Hot Pursuit. All right, today on the show, we have a lot of really cool stuff to talk about. Hannah uh, put out a story about the most valuable cars that have sold at auction, which I'm excited about because there are a couple of really cool modern vehicles, and one uh, I have driven, one I would love to. We are also going to talk about Pagani, Horatio Pagani, because we had a Pagani interview. I guess he was in Asia, in Hong Kong, and he is releasing his third like supercar, third generation of the Pagani supercar. Porsche also is releasing a car, both of those in Asia. Hannah's going to tell us why. And we're going to dive deep into the Cybertruck. I've been pumped about this thing for four years, and ever since the very first time we saw it, haters have been hating so hard. Elon makes it so easy, um, but I'm hoping that he hits it out of the park. Hannah, let's talk first about the story that you put out. Obviously, Ferraris are the most expensive uh, cars that have sold on auction. We've been talking about that in, in this podcast. You've been writing about it for years. That's no big deal. But there were a couple other really interesting sales. Tell us about a couple of them. It's always going to be Ferrari dominating. I think of these top 10, seven were Ferrari. This is as market proof as you can get. They're blue chip cars, of course, of course. Aside from that, a couple other of the brands that uh, came up in the top 10 list are recognizable. We've got that uh, Mercedes Formula One race car, that Lewis Hamilton. That is so I know. awesome. I know. And I think that really actually means that these Formula One racers that have been decommissioned are going to become more and more popular. We had a couple Schumacher cars that sold pretty well uh. last year. Now Hamilton, this car, it was really interesting. They sold it in a theater in Las Vegas at the Wynn Hotel, and it went for almost $20 million. It was like $18.8 million. That's the start of something. That's insane. Yeah. Because I was thinking about this. I have no idea about how many there are out there, but I would imagine there are quite a few decommissioned, at least chassis, right? Because they, they make a lot, and maybe they don't make a lot of engines. I think there's a, a rule about how many they can produce, but you know there must be a lot of rolling chassis out there. There really are, and there are even race series where guys will buy the old, older Formula cars and then race them. What made this particular car really special, though, is that it's the only modern Formula One Mercedes that isn't owned by Mercedes, by Lewis Hamilton, or by Total Wolf. So basically, this was the only one that was offered to the public that wasn't sort of owned by the Mercedes racing team conglomerate between Toto and Hamilton. So this in particular was super rare. But to your point, there are full-on racing series where guys will buy these old Formula One cars and race them. And I think it's kind of, you know, like fun to do if you can afford it. That, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 20 million bucks almost. That's a little high for me, but it's so cool. And it wasn't a lame one. It's at least a V8, right? It wasn't like the Shumi uh, V12s or, or the V10s of Christian Horner's youth, but 
uh, it still at least is a V8. And there was a really cool clip circulating on social, I'm sure you saw it, where Lewis Hamilton is giving an interview, and he hears somebody driving a, a V10 around the track, and he gets confused, or he gets um, sort of sidetracked, and he's like, I'm sorry, I just got to listen to that sound. So even he loves it. You know, he's like a real car guy, um, which is really cool to see. This one in particular, too, um, it was one of the last to have that particular kind of engine before they changed the rules again. This car was raced. uh, Hamilton won the Hungarian Grand Prix in it in 2013. So this is sort of the last of that particular type of engine, which I'm sure he would recognize by, by sound. So that made it even extra special. But yeah, it's a dying breed, which is interesting because another car, on this list of top sellers I know you mentioned before was this Bugatti that is also kind of the end of an era and I know you're kind of obsessed with it I'm obsessed with the car which I incorrectly (laughs) pronounce as Chiron and I have been by the way I even do that with Stephen Winkleman when I'm talking to the former CEO of Bugatti and you can say it correctly well I would say Chiron or Chiron depending yes. on if you're French or not. But honestly, I don't ever correct. I'm not going to well, be that Well, you're right. Person. And every time I say it, especially when I say it like on live television or radio, I feel stupid after. But whatever. Yeah. I, uh, it's I, cool. I have had the honor of the privilege of driving one, one time on the Bilsterberg circuit in Germany cool. with Winkleman. And That's very cool. It was so much fun. And we also drove it around, you know, just around um, the B-roads in the area. I mean... 16 cylinders, four turbochargers. And the coolest thing for me about the Chiron is when I first saw it, I thought it was absolutely fugly. Like, I didn't like it at all many years ago. And I have come to love it over time. And then driving it was just kind of the cherry on top. You've driven one, I imagine. Yeah, I have. I've driven a Chiron and I've driven a Veyron. And I'm the same. I don't necessarily like two-tone cars in general, even though I understand their historical precedent. And you have a Rolls-Royce. And yeah, They're often two-tones. Yeah, so I kind of get your point, but it really has grown on me. And I'm totally with you. You know, we're very lucky. We get to drive a bunch of really cool things. But when you get into a Bugatti, it's on another level. And even for some of us who can be a bit blasé about things because this is our job, even getting into the Bugatti, though, and driving it, it does feel like it's on a whole other planet just in terms of speed, performance. The sound, to me, is like a jet. (laughs) I love it. It's so cool. It is the end of a dying breed. Bugatti has said they're going to... Well, actually, I don't know if they've said this officially, but they will be bringing out a hybrid next year. Okay, (laughs) we'll put it that way. It's been reported by us. People familiar (laughs) say... (laughs) Yes, people familiar with the matter say the 16-cylinder car is really the end of an era at Bugatti, and I know that people are thinking about that when they buy these and they pay top dollar for these Ah, so wait, let's talk about that. By the way, of of your list, you said there's seven Ferraris. Yes. Eight of them were classic cars. You know, old, I don't know what that means, 25 years or I mean, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the only modern ones that I referenced were Hamilton's 2013 F1 car and the Chiron, which initially went for what, like last year for like three million bucks, and now yes. it sold for eleven yes. a year later, which is crazy. Yeah. It's wild. Um, it, I guess it's because they just don't make very many, and they're going to go to, as you said, a hybrid powertrain. Yeah, when they announced this car, they said they were going to make five hundred of them, which by the they had already sold out two hundred by the time they even made one. 
So I don't, you know, it's like it's a special good. edition. It's, it's the final edition or whatever. Yes. Yeah. This and this one was totally unique. It had like a special paint job and special woven leather on the inside. It were it really was a singular car. And, you know, I just know that to see that kind of price jump in a year is wild. And I mean, bottom line, things are worth what people pay for them. I mean, that it's just like art. It's like a painting on a wall is going to be worth whatever someone pays for it. Period. And I would much and, rather have a car, a Bugatti, than a painting yeah. on a wall. I've never understood why people would pay more for a painting, even if it's really good, right? Yeah. Which a lot of them, <laughs> a lot of them aren't that great. I feel like, but yeah. I'd rather have something you can drive. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's interesting because going back to the formula cars, if you talk to the auction, the guys at the auctions, the people at RM, they say these cars are being bought as if they are. A painting by Picasso. These are being bought as art pieces or objects of art, you know, and not cars. And I'm not convinced how much driving will be done in them, unfortunately, because it is sort of skewing over to this idea that these are pieces of artwork. You had a guy, by the way, who's bought multiple, right? In your, according to your yeah. story, I think it was a Barrett Jackson dude. Craig Jackson, yeah, this is the guy who runs Barrett Jackson Auctions, which is interesting. And I said to him, "Wait, Barrett Jackson's known for muscle cars, American cars, Americana. You know, why are you buying these really high end French, French sports cars?" And he said, "Hey, I know a good deal when I see it. This is the end of the line." He loves driving, and he does drive them, which is really cool. He loves driving them, and he knows that the values are going to go way up. He he owns a couple Bugattis, and he said he's always looking for another one. That's that's just crazy. I know. Um, he's by smart. The, by the way, what do we know about the powertrain? Is it, You said hybrid, so it's not just electric. And Rolls-Royce, I think someone broke the news that they have a less than 300-mile range on the Spectre over the last mm-hmm. couple of days, which is their mm-hmm. all-electric car that's mm-hmm. coming. That's lame. And it would be so much cooler if it were a hybrid, especially if, with the rolls, if it were the six and a half liter V12. But what, what, about, what yeah. do we know about the Chiron's powertrain, the hybrid? What I've been told from sources close to the matter is that there was a preview in Berlin recently about this new vehicle, which is a completely new vehicle. It's not a next generation. It's a completely new vehicle. And apparently the hybrid capabilities are on another level. It's not pure electric, but, you know, um, close to the equivalent of 2000 horsepower, all in, all combined. Now, this is not confirmed by the company. This is what I've been told by somebody who was there. And, of course, I've asked Bugatti, you know, to confirm that. And um, they are keeping their cards close to their chest until next year. But, I mean, this plays right into your hand, Matt. I know you're a fan of hybrids. And I'm I'm, I'm a fan of hybrids. And I'm happy when, you know, people start buying the last gen of a gas car. Yes. Because I bought that in my Challenger. And we have another, the Camaro, I think this year is the last, or next year is the last year for the Camaro. There's a bunch of these cars um, now where you're going to see the last gas model soon. Yeah, and I think Barry does that too. I mean, it's not wrong to be thinking like that. You know, the range thing continues to be an issue. I mean, you mentioned Rolls Royce and the Spectre, which is unfortunate, but also there, you know, Audi's SUVs get less than 300 miles. It's not just Rolls Royce, it's not just the big expensive ones, it's even Audi, which those are expensive too, but you know. 
Only GM it, seems to have cracked the nut, and the way they yeah. did it. By the way, when we talk about the Cybertruck, we'll touch on this, but oh, because yeah. GM, the electric Cadillac Escalade, or the Hummer, or even the Silverado, these things are like nine or ten thousand yes. pounds. If right? they even will tell you the weight, right? You know, half the time I have to, I ask them, and they say they don't want to tell me, or they quote unquote don't know, and then I just start throwing out numbers, and you know, see how they react. You know, yeah. 10,000. And, they, you know, if they give me a wink, then I kind of know, okay, we're in the ballpark. It's weird that no one seems, even the TFL guys are like, I think somewhere over 9,000. And yeah. they are like diehard. They, they must have yeah. a GMC Hummer. By the way, yeah. I will say uh, a Camaro went at the Barrett Jackson auction for over a million dollars. So, wow. muscle cars, I mean, obviously the Cudas have been up there. You know, there are some muscle cars that are going for that much. Yeah, and I did ask Craig, hey, is there any chance that any of these American cars, muscle cars, might at some point break into the top 10, top 15 list of sales for the year. Um, and he mentioned, you know, possibly some of the Shelby's could eventually, you know, it, it hasn't happened yet, but um, their prices are certainly on the rise. Nice. Uh, let's talk about um, prices that start out very high. Uh, <laughs> Horatio Pagani. And I have, I don't know too much about him, but I've been to Bologna a bunch to visit people at Ducati. So, I always go by, you know, Lamborghini, and then since I'm there, I just drive to Modena, and I go to the Pagani factory. It's such a cool tour. I recommend anybody who's in the Motor Valley do it. I've done it like three times now. And he's such a cool guy with a cool past, because he started, I think, working at Lambo, and he was like, we should get our own machine for making carbon fiber, and they were like, nah, nah. That's yeah. too expensive. And then he bought it himself and just brought it to work. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, very legit. He was on Bloomberg. You, I guess you didn't do the interview. No, I only watch your interviews, Matt. I see. So he was on <laughs> Bloomberg. Thank you very much. Uh, I watch everyone else's. But nice. um, uh, with his son, I think, because his English isn't so great. Yeah. So his son... It's a challenge. Uh, helps to translate what he's saying. <laughs> and he's, I think, Argentinian. Yes, um, half. But, what is he saying about electric cars and, and China? Because it seems to me that's where you get the cheapest stuff, but he may someday get a powertrain for his future electric car there. Uh, this sounds bad, and I don't mean it to sound bad, but he's kind of talking out of both sides of his mouth because, yes, he does say China's really important for EVs. It's the world's largest EV market. You know, domestic brands and European brands would do well to watch what Chinese manufacturers are doing in China because they're outselling everybody with electric vehicles. Um, and it's also cheaper to manufacture in China, et cetera, et cetera. But then he says, but, you know, for supercars, an electric vehicle is still, you know, an expensive, heavy proposition. And they don't have any plans, you know, currently to come out with any electric vehicle at Pagani. And also, they were there to debut their new generation supercar, the Utopia, in Asia. But, you know, the thing is, I actually went back and looked, and they had already shown that in Milan a year or two ago. Oh, then that's not so, really a debut. Right. So it's coming a little bit late, which the actions tell me China is not really a priority for them as much as maybe he was saying while he was there. Uh, but, I mean, but the car looks insane. The car looks insane. And he is right about the fact that China is the most important market for electric vehicles in the world. I saw something from uh, our Bloomberg intelligence that said that 60% of all new EVs sold 
this year around the world will be in China. So that's huge. Yeah, they have over a hundred EV makers in China. Business Week had a great story about the EV graveyards you can go to there, where cool. you can see like thousands, tens of thousands of cars just parked and never, never to be used again. Most of them for Uberish purposes. I think whatever their Uber is called, DD or. I think though that Pagani was talking on the Bloomberg interview about the mass market for cars, mm-hmm. and of course. What he does is something very different, because at his factory, where they put them together by hand, they only make a few dozen, maybe like 50 a year. He's still using, I think, a Mercedes, uh, 6.5 liter Mercedes V12 in his... He was, at least, in the Wyra. All all of his cars kind of look the same, the Zonda, the Wyra. The new one, I think, is the best looking of the bunch, but maybe that's because it's you know new. I agree, and honestly, it's difficult to tell them apart. Yes, I mean that's to me one of the problems of Pagani, but maybe they don't see it as a problem. I can't tell them apart on the road. I have no idea what I'm looking at. For me, the cool part about it is whenever I'm in any car um, that's not a Rolls Royce, I'm looking at the dials, the knobs, the touch points, and I'm thinking, man, I wish they had like CNC'd this out of aluminum block. You know, Mm -hmm. I wish they'd really gone like. The extra mile on every single piece, and that's what he does. Yes, you know, like the uh, like the guy from Icon when he makes a uh, yeah, um, Jonathan Ward. Yeah, yeah. I, I recently saw a video where he's talking about this Mercedes, like I think it was a 300 SEL that they put um, a GM V8 in, supercharged V8 nice. into, and it looked nice. so awesome. And nice. but he he like redesigns every single piece, even if he wants the car to look um, factory original. Because he wants that quality, so even a knob that is plastic, he'll 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 CNC it out of aluminum and make it look exactly the same as the plastic one, but it's just more of a solid piece. That's cool. I like the attention to detail. It kind of reminds me of Spiker. You remember Spiker? Yes. Yeah. They kind of did the same thing, which was really nice. It's like jewelry in a way. Spiker was Dutch, jewelry. right? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It's like jewelry. It's like art, which is what yeah. I really think of Pagani is. So it, it, the thing is, when I was at the factory last time, I thought, man, these engines they use are getting kind of old in the tooth. But it doesn't matter. Because it's not really about that. Um, He says he doesn't want to use batteries because they're not lightweight enough. But, like, who cares in a Pagani? I guess... I mean... Are you tracking a $5 million Pagani? I can't imagine. You know, I have never driven a Pagani. That's, I think, one of the only vehicles I've never driven. I've ridden in one, um, but I wasn't allowed to drive it. So I'm still waiting for uh, that time behind the driver's the seat. I, there, I have the a long seat. list of cars I've never driven. Pagani, <laughs> obviously I've never driven a Pagani, a Koenigsegg, a, what do you call it, a Rimac. Rimac would love you, Matt. I'm I'm very surprised. You and Mate would be bros. I would, Big time. Uh, I would like to meet him. And I'd also love to hear what he has to say to Horatio Pagani about, because he's yeah. made an electric supercar. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. 
Com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. All right, let's talk about something that's going to be, I think, a lot cheaper. And actually, by the time the podcast comes out, I think it'll be official because we're recording this on a Wednesday. Tomorrow, Tesla delivered the first Cybertrucks. What are we hearing? It's going to be about 50 grand. Maybe it'll be 60 or 70, but that's fairly affordable. Yeah, it's fairly affordable. It's like that much money plus four years of your emotional roller coaster up and down following. Did you put a deposit down on one? I didn't. And now the wait list is like five years. I mean, more than a million people have reserved one. Uh, have so, you have you seen one in real life at all? I have not seen one in real life, but I've seen all of the prototypes on the internet, yeah. and I've seen like Doug Demiro had a video where he like trashes the gaps. Everyone's talking about the panel yeah. gaps. I'm hoping that that from the very beginning when Elon Musk broke the window <laughs> with a bowling ball or whatever that is an iconic moment to the panel ga- <laughs> gaps now. I'm hoping that's all been a ruse. Wow. And that he's going to put out yeah. the most amazing and solid stainless steel piece of artwork you've ever seen. Yeah, you know, why why put your best foot forward with all your first impressions? <laughs> we'll we'll save it. We'll save the good stuff. So, we'll just get rid of the bad stuff first and then we'll save it for uh it seems for like everyone he, he, else. Likes, he likes to make a bad impression. Yeah. It gets him a lot of press. Right, right. Well, I have seen a couple Cybertrucks. I saw the one here in LA at the Peterson Museum on display which I think they probably would have been better off if they didn't display it because it get, did give everyone a chance to go over it and you don't even have to look that close to see the the poor horks. But it's horks. pre-production. Uh yes, and I have seen another one actually uh driving through the streets in LA. I, you know, I, of course, am not in manufacturing, but I know that stainless steel tends to show every flaw. And this entire truck is made out of stainless steel. So, yes, I I think stainless steel doesn't need to be painted. It resists corrosion, um, but it's going to show every, every little detail. And in a company that has already struggled with fit and finish on regular cars, um, my confidence that they're going to all of a sudden be be wonderful on this one, which is even more challenging to manufacture, is is low. Is I mean, rather low. I mean, one so one cool thing: DeLoreans still look yeah awesome, and the you know the finish looks new when you see them. Yeah, and I don't know how old a DeLorean. They must be as almost as old as me. So very old. I love the stainless steel look. Apparently, they've had trouble because of the glare. Like, it gives oh, off yeah. so much glare that it's problematic. Yeah. And yeah. so, the designer, he wrapped one in matte black. Um, he, I think he did a horrible job of the wrap. He left bubbles and oh, tears in it, and then peel. he drove it to a big event. <laughs> so, everybody oh. was like, even the wrap sucks. Oh, God. Um, but I'm hoping it's going to be cool because... It's just a different take on number one on on cars. Like you haven't seen that kind of design. It is very like DeLorean, Countach, this kind mm-hmm. of brutalist 
um, you know, no curves, straight lines. I like mm-hmm. that. And it's uh, it's different from other Teslas. Like my problem with Tesla, the Model S, if you look at it for a while, can be a beautiful vehicle. <laughs> but then the rest of them all look kind of the same, like just different versions of the Model S. And then it, it makes all of them suck in a way. Let me get this straight, just so I'm clear. So you think the Model S is a potentially beautiful, but you do not like the curvature on like a Mercedes S class. Is that I don't, what you're yes. saying? Actually, I don't like the curvy uh, Mercedes design language. That's not, I mean, on the E class, on the C. Because they both kind of look like lozenges. Yeah. They, that's, but that's the, the problem that I have. But the Tesla looks I think the Model better. S, because it's stretched out more and it's got a longer nose, it's sleek. It looks a little bit like... It's got that Jaguar, Aston Martin kind of design language. No way you're comparing a Tesla to an Aston Martin. No <laughs> way. In, no in, way. In, in, a, in a way, it looks kind of like... I think a, the sleep deprivation is getting too bad. It could be. I just had a kid and I, uh, <laughs> on Saturday, and I haven't slept for more than three hours. Um, anyway, my point is, they all look alike, and that makes me not even like the one that could look the best. So, I think it's cool that they're making something that looks totally different. You know, this doesn't look like any other Teslas or any other cars. Yeah, okay. I do think the DeLorean's a good comparison, but also look at what happened with DeLorean, the company, and DeLorean, the man. They yes. also were swindlers. And <laughs> I, I hate the feeling that someone is swindling me and my friends out of our hard-earned money. And it just feels a little like, wow, you you promised this in 2019. You promised it by 2021. It's now almost 2024. The examples we've seen look like trash cans. I just feel like, how dumb do you think we are? I mean, come on. Fair. Fair point. Fair point. (laughs) Um, Well, it'll be interesting. I mean, the production nightmare is... I think a huge part of the story right now, he's got a million pre-orders or reservations, but those will probably cancel a lot of them as they realize it's going to be years before they get it. You know what I'm going to buy you for Christmas? Uh, I just had a great a cyber idea. truck reservation? No. There's a Cybertruck can opener for $50 on the Tesla website. I saw that. Did you? Yeah, and a couple I, beers. They have cyber yeah. beer. The beer stein, I mean, for the truck lover in your life. I don't know if I, it'll be interesting to see if the Cybertruck is for the truck lover in your life because what can you well, really do with it? Apparently, it has a pretty big bed. You can fit like a four by eight sheet of plywood in there if you have the uh, tailgate down, and okay. it has a tiny little frunk. But you know, it, could, you know, it can tow eleven thousand pounds. I think I've heard, and it's going to be light. Uh, it's going to be less than seven thousand pounds, according to an insider who leaked the details like last week, and. Okay, 7,000 pounds is very heavy compared to other cars, yeah, but like but, I was saying earlier, compared to a Hummer or the Chevy yeah. Silverado electric version or, or the Escalade. The, yeah, it's it's much lighter. Your voice kind of went up on the end there like, yeah, it's much lighter. <laughs> maybe there's yeah, a bonus. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, you know, I think it's probably not, not going to have nearly as much range as those. But actually, the best thing about Tesla compared to all of the competitors is that it has better range. We talk about the yeah. Audi, you know, that yeah. have horrible range. The Rolls-Royce is going to have less than 300. I yeah. shouldn't say horrible. Um, yeah, sorry, yeah. Audi. But they have <laughs> low range, and yeah. the te- these Teslas have had a lot of range for a long time. And I do think that um, the Cybertruck, if I'm remembering this right, will be Tesla's first high-voltage vehicle, yes. which does give the benefit of faster charging. Now, obviously, Porsche and Hyundai have already done that, but 
for Tesla, it's a big thing. I do think it's a bad sign that Ford is walking back targets for their electric truck. And when Ford has the best-selling truck in the country and they're walking back targets for their electric truck, again, like, I don't know if truck, a lot of truck owners are looking to buy an electric Tesla truck. You know better than me. No, I don't think so. It's not like... People are going to switch over from an F-150. It's hard enough to upsell them on the Lightning. Yeah. Um, it's not like they're going to buy a Tesla because they want something that looks like a truck, you know? <laughs> All right, what do you have coming up? Do you have any... Uh... Oh, you know what I'm doing next week? What? I'm going to go drive the 911 ST. Okay, so the 911 ST... We discussed this. What What exactly is it? I mean, is it just like the most perfect 911 and they charge an extra hundred grand for it? Well... I think so. So this is supposed to be like the top end of their top end. It's a $300,000 version of the 911. Um, It's not the most powerful. It's not the fastest, but it's a special car with a special livery that sort of harkens back to these old 911 S's and 911 T's that were raced in the 60s. And the ST was uh, not a factory car, but you could kind of spec your car to be what people would sort of colloquially call an ST. So this particular car is celebrating the STs from the 60s that were really fast and that people raced. Um, you know, it, it has just over 500 horsepower. It's not like the most powerful car, but it's But it is to naturally be... aspirated. Exactly. Great point. And it's just sort of a beautiful throwback celebration of the heritage. The guys who are really into the long lineage of Porsche racing will really like it. It's a limited edition. I think it's limited to under 1,000. So it should be really special. I'm looking forward to driving it. So it's like a 911R. But, kind of. but maybe even better because it's going to have the newest technology, but they can make you not notice that, which I think is the point of the R and the point of this as well. I feel <clears throat> like I've seen on Instagram, you've been really heavily watching some motorcycle races. Ah, uh, Yeah, I do want to talk about motorcycles for a minute, even though a lot of car people don't care. The season of MotoGP ended. While my wife and I were having a baby in the hospital, I brought my iPad. I have MotoGP.com. So we watched on Saturday. Before her delivery, we watched the sprint race. And then on Sunday, after we had the baby, we watched the race race. And Ducati won again. Peko Benyaya defended his championship. Um, It was very cool. But the most exciting thing about MotoGP is... This new season kicked off on Tuesday with testing, and Mark Marquez, who is one of, if not the greatest motorcycle race driver of all time, quit Honda, where he'd been forever, and has switched to Grazzini Ducati. So he got on a Ducati on Tuesday and was one of the fastest riders on track. Wow. On his first day. Wow. It's going to be awesome. What a talent. What a talent. And no one cares about that. Also, (laughs) KTM is putting out a new 1350cc version of the Super Duke. It's called the 1390, which annoys the hell out of me. Why? Because it's 1350ccs. Why is it called a 1390? Sounds like Ducati does this too. It annoys me that when the nomenclature should fit... With the motor. And in the past, right, with Ferraris and with BMWs, you could always tell what the motor was by the nomenclature, and they've all broken away from that. It would be nice if they would help us remember what we're talking about. 
just make it easy on us. If you know, uh, to your point, it's exactly right. Just say what the engine is and the name or whatever, so I can remember it easier. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah, I'm excited about those things, but um, really looking forward to your 911 test drive. I'll be watching your Instagram account, Hannah, Thanks. for pictures of the car. Uh, what is your Instagram account? It's Hannah Elliot XO. That's Hannah with an H, Elliot with two L's, two T's. But only one XO on the end. The only one XO. That's all it takes. All right. Mine is Matt Miller, 1973, across uh, every kind of social media platform. But I barely pay attention because I'm a dad and I'm usually changing diapers or just hanging out in the garage trying to escape from <laughs> my fatherly duties. We can be heard on Apple, on Spotify, or any place you download your podcast. Every Saturday morning, uh, we drop a new edition of Hot Pursuit. So tune in next time. I'm Matt Miller. And I'm Hannah Elliott. And this is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.